This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey there, welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly. How are you doing there, Charlie? I'm doing great, Dean. How are you? I am very, very well. I'm very well, yeah. And happy autumn. Yeah, autumn arrived at uh, 2.50 this morning, the autumnal equinox. I knew you would know that. (laughs) Yeah, I always look those things. So, yeah, 2.50 this morning is when it hit officially. So, there you go. Autumn. It's pretty funny, no question. The... um... Uh, do you want to do the numbers quickly? I've got a couple of a couple of um, announcements for everybody. You know, you got to do the announcements because I have I've lost sight of my numbers for oh. just a second. So you you go ahead I'll and go do ahead your thing. Announcements. <laughs> you me, go ahead. I'll be right let, there. <laughs> let me know if you need me to do the numbers. I can do that too. Listen tomorrow for anybody who is a lover of hardy bulbs. The Greater Toronto Bulb Society will be meeting at the Toronto Botanical Gardens. And of course, uh, TVG is, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to tell you where it is. It's Leslie and Lawrence. It's easy to find. They meet in the probably in the floral hall, but somewhere in the building. The meeting starts, uh, you know, 1.30. It, um, everybody in all of the, the whole world is welcome to attend this event. There will be a flower show, which will probably be quite stunning. And the speaker is a gentleman named Alan McMurtry. He is an iris reticulata grower and hybridizer. So he's going to be presenting some of the amazing irises that he has been able to to uh, hybridize. So reticulata is not your traditional bearded iris, but it's a hardy bulb. It's one of my all-time favorites. comes up very early in the spring. So that's a lovely one to uh, to attend because you're going to love seeing some of the photos that this gentleman's going to be sharing. And then I'm just looking quickly because I'm, oh, there we go. Uh, next week, September the 30th, so next Saturday, in Keswick, for anybody who's in the Keswick area, between 9 and 12, the Lake Simcoe Gardeners uh, Club will be meeting, and nothing wants to open. Lake Simcoe Gardeners will be meeting. Uh, they are at the Keswick United Church, which is 177 Church Street in Keswick. Uh, the, the actual event is 9 until 12, so it's next Saturday morning. It's not a meeting. It's a sale of delicious baked goods, great plants, and well-behaved books, all available for sale. It's a fundraiser, of course. And uh, and again, everyone is welcome to attend and enjoy and socialize and chit-chat and get some goodies to eat. Sounds good. I am all over that. I love goodies to eat. In fact, sometimes I love too much goodies to eat. <laughs> okay, the numbers to call, uh, 416-360-0740. Or if you live outside Toronto, use this one. It's a toll-free number, one 866 740 And please let Ashy know if you are a first-time caller and 
I will give you your garden wings. We want you to call often. We want you to call early. I can see some uh, uh, callers that are already coming through. And please, this one's an important one. One question per call, please. If you have a second question, you need to hang up the phone. You need to call back, okay, just to give everybody a proper shake. Okay, uh, we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. He's absolutely right. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin on Zoomer Radio on this first day of fall. And look, I have the very first caller of the first day of fall of 2023. We're going to talk to Eve now from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Eve. Good morning. I would like to talk about Longstream Roses. Hello? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, what kind of roses? I would like to talk about Longstream Roses. Hello? Yeah, Longstream Roses. Go ahead, Eve. Yeah. Yeah, You Uh, tell Charlie your question. I usually uh, usually cut them about in November, and then about knee-high, and then I cover them with uh, soil and um, foam head and put a stone on top. But this year I said I would put in peat moss if that's all right to cover the the um, roots. Yes, yes, peat moss works just fine. But when you purchase peat moss, it'll be in a brick and it'll be really dry and hard and clumpy. So just make sure you break up the peat moss so that it's fluffy uh, before you pile it on top of the roses. And then yes, if you want to put the foam cover, go for it. Yeah. And, uh, and and cut them again. This year, the roses are about almost two meters high. Oh, wow. Well, you, Okay, so you said you cut to about to your knees in the fall, which is fine for covering purposes. In the spring, you need to cut down to your ankles. Oh, um, oh I've been cutting them down in the winter uh, before I put the head on the same day. The same day when I covered them with the soil, I was yep. cutting them before. Yep. And uh, put the uh, put the soil on and then the foam head on top. That's, that's why I do no, the same day. All on the yes. same day. That's fine. What you're doing in the fall is fine. It's absolutely correct. But you need to follow up in the spring when you take off the cover and you pull away the soil. You need to cut the roses down to the height of your ankles. Oh, oh. Right, okay. right. Right. And they won't get so tall. And what? Okay, doke. Yep. Then they won't get so tall, Eve. And put what on top? Hello? No, hello. No, you're going to pull the soil away from the roses in the spring. Right. Use your hose, use your trowel, get the soil pulled away, cut the roses down to the height of your ankles. Of course, you want to shape the roses so that the canes are growing out from the center of the plant. When you look down at your roses, they should look like a, a palm, an open hand, with the four or five strong canes growing out and all the little scrib- small small ones taken out, black dead stuff taken out, clean them right up um, and fertilize in the spring. Okay there, Eve. Yeah, it sounds like, Eve, uh, like you're putting, your, you're putting them to bed very nicely in the fall. So uh, you give us a call back in the spring, and thank you very much for the uh, question there. Okay, we're going to go to another uh, Toronto caller. We have uh, Mary on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Mary. 
Oh, thank you. Good morning to you both. Uh, I called about this earlier in the year, and I know that Charlie loves clover. If I wanted clover, I would have planted clover. This clover, as I've said before, <laughs> the birds and the, the bees hate it. It has strangled my grass. Last year it was more bare patches. I overseeded twice in the spring, three times. So my question is this. Because of the humidity this year, I had some killix. I was going to kill all the clover, and I'd hope to reseed in the fall at least twice. But because of the humidity, I can't stand it. I haven't done it. So my question is this. Should I still, because now we're approaching winter, should I still, like, there's a few blades of grass that show up between the clover, even though I pull it out, and it's difficult for me to cut it with the lawnmower. The clover is so thick. I Mm want to know, should I use the killix and try to kill all the clover because it's taken over my grass, or should I wait till spring? kill it then and do it that way all right so interesting question and a good one because you're not alone in wishing there was you're no clover up. in I your can't lawn understand you oh dear you can't hear me i know we're having some um issues uh i'm going to talk really loud and tell me if you can hear me um uh, it's a little clover. bit better now but you keep breaking up and i'm on a landline i know it's not you it's some it's not your issue uh, okay, so just let me let me talk, and maybe if Dean's not breaking up, he can fill in what you miss. Uh, so what's happening is the clover that you don't like is um, been growing all summer, and it is going to be difficult to kill at this time of year. The killex you have, as you know, is completely illegal, so we won't talk too much about it, except to say that I would use it in the spring if I was going to use it at all. It is more effective on young plants, so make sure they're actively growing. So use any chemicals you want to use to kill clover, whether it's vinegar, or um, which is non-selective, or Killex, which is selective for broad-leafed plants. Use that in the spring, and then shortly thereafter, do your top dressing and overseeding and fill in those blank spots with a good turf mix. Okay. Okay. That's exactly what I'll do. I do use the cleaning vinegar as well. Okay, I will wait. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Mary. Okay, we are. Uh, I'm going to give out those numbers again, and then we're going to go to a quick break. Okay, if you live in Toronto, uh, use this number four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Or if you live outside Toronto, anywhere in the province, it's toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. We will be right back with much more on the Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed. We do have The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. And uh, uh, here we go. We're going to go to our next caller. We've got Cheryl, who is calling from Thornhill. What's happening in Thornhill on this first day of fall, Cheryl? Well, at the moment, while I was waiting, one of my cats insisted on being brushed. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Celebrating it's a beautiful fall. day again. I love this weather. 
Yes. Beautiful. And what do you got for Charlie there, uh, Cheryl? Uh, hydrangea shrub. It's called a, I'll probably say it wrong, limelight pinnacle. Pinnacle? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I planted them three, this will be the third fall, so three falls ago. <clears throat> and they come up, they've been coming up each year, but they're only, one's only about a foot high. The other one may be closer to two feet, but they don't, they haven't flowered at all and they aren't very strong looking. Um, I went back to the garden center and she said, it's more important about uh, when you um, cut them back. She said to watch a video, but a video, the only videos I could find, they'd grown quite tall and they all had blooms on them and they're cutting under the blooms. So I don't know where to <clears throat> cut particularly. Okay, so quick question, Cheryl. How much sun are these hydrangeas getting? How many hours? They get hours? a mixture. They don't get, they, where they're located, they get at different times a day, but it's not full on all the time. Now, I was told they were good in shade as well. No. Okay, not well, then they to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, there are, there's a hydrangea, a very old, famous hydrangea <clears throat> called Annabelle. Annabelle does well in partial shade uh, and better than most, but limelight needs full sun, minimum six hours of direct sun every day. That's fun because I, I told them that where I want to put them was under a tree and they said they survive well in shade. Okay, so okay, how so do I, can I transplant these to another spot? You can. And also, remember, double-check the tags. There would have been tags on the plant, and it yeah. should show clearly uh, full sun. They are um, originally, they're bred by a company called Proven Winners out of California. Yes, that's, that's and, what it says on the tag. Yeah, so they have lots of great information on their website, on the Proven Winners website. Okay. Lime, assuming you really have limelight, there's a smaller version called Little Lamb, and or little lime something like that either way the smaller version which in your property would be better i bet than the big one limelight grows eight feet tall and eight feet wide if it's given the right conditions so yeah, it's a big these aren't anywhere near that <clears throat> no sounds like they're quite a bit smaller so get them into more sun as much as you can the only time you prune the only time i prune hydrangea limelight is in the spring Oh, see, I was told to do it in the fall, too, so there right. you go. So the problem with pruning in the fall, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but if you prune in the fall, assuming you have flowers, you're pruning them all off, and then right. you don't yeah. see yeah. them all winter. And they're pretty in the winter. They're very pretty, and they're huge. I haven't even had buds. Yeah, so you need more sun. More sun, good soil, well-drained. You will get the flowers, enjoy the flowers, late summer, all winter, and then in the spring, you can cut the flowers off and shape the shrub for the next year's growth. So you only prune once a year, and that's in the spring. Okay, so I can get um, hints on this website of, of the best way to transplant them probably, right? Well, I would think so, but best way to transplant anything, and this is a good time, is make sure the soil is moist, prepare the hole in advance on where you're going, and when you lift the plant, take the soil with the roots. Make sure that the soil does not fall off the roots. So okay. it's a careful lifting, the biggest root ball you can carry. And this is the best time to transplant them? It's a perfect time. Okay. 
Good. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank Thanks for that call, Cheryl. I'm sure there are other people in the same boat. Now, um, Charlie, one, one comment I had. Are there any plants <laughs> out there? that don't like well-drained soil <laughs> because, <laughs> because I hear you all the time saying well-drained soil and um, and what makes well-drained soil and what is the so I'm guessing there are no plants that don't like well-drained soil oh for sure there is um, when was the last time you took a walk along a stream uh, in in a park or in the woods oh, okay. and yeah. you saw all kinds of things growing along the edge of the stream right okay, they so don't like you... well-drained soil exactly so here's a good one marsh marigold <laughs> right they, they don't the want right they don't want to be well-drained and there are irises that love to be in more that naturally wild irises that will grow along the edge of streams and ponds think of bulrushes right of so course. there are there are definitely a selection of plants that love high levels of moisture it's interesting because i was just looking at an email one of our listeners called in about the perennial hibiscus uh, the one that has got the massive big flowers on it right mm -hmm. now uh, in people's gardens. It's a hardy, herbaceous hibiscus. And uh, it it was originally found in a, like, in a really wet spot. It's okay. a, a moisture-loving plant. So sometimes people have issues. It's like, well, go back and see what this plant needs. The vast majority of the ornamentals that we talk about, ornamental plants, are preferring a soil that's either well you know well watered so lots of water fills in all the the air holes between the soil particles but it doesn't sit there the water does drain through and believe it or not air from above the soil gets pulled down into those spaces where the water just was bringing in oxygen and oxygen makes it possible for the roots to grow gotcha Okay, a quick email question. Uh, this came in from David in Bruce Mines, uh, which I had to look up because I thought I'm not even really sure where Bruce Mines is, and it's up near the Sioux, apparently. Um, uh, he says, you know, love your show. Is there a difference between blood meal and bone meal, and when should they be used? Okay, that's, that's a great question because people do mix up blood meal and bone meal. It sounds the same, right? So what they have in common... They are both completely natural. They are both completely organic. They are both from, are recycled from the abattoirs. Mm -hmm. uh, when typically cattle go off to the slaughterhouse, the bits and pieces are, are collected. So bone meal and blood meal are from cattle typically. Um, so there you go. You know that that's, a, that's where the source. Yep. We know that they are non-burning. You can't hurt your plants with blood meal or bone meal. And, and what they have nutrient-wise, they give up very slowly. So what is in bones? Well, of course, bones is made out of phosphorus and calcium. So slowly, bone meal will release phosphorus and calcium into our soils. Blood, on the other hand, is full of nitrogen. So again, slowly as the blood meal decomposes, it releases nitrogen. So very different elements, but all of them are essential. Plants need 17 different essential nutrients. So that's three of them, phosphorus, yeah. um, phosphorus nitrogen, and calcium. It, blood, bone meal also has some magnesium, some iron, some zinc. So all good, really good nutrients. So that's the difference is that you're providing a different nutrient um, 
platter to to the soil around your plants when you incorporate blood or bone meal it is a slow release it's not fast you're not going to see overnight you know bonanza growth mm-hmm. yeah um, the people will often use blood meal around their bulbs and around their plants that the squirrels are bothering because squirrels can smell the blood meal and even though they've never seen a cow they know that that is a big animal and it's bigger than them and they go, woo, I don't know what that is. And then they run away. Okay. However, they do get uh, used to the smell of the blood meal eventually. And eventually they stop sort of reacting to it. But it can be effective to scare them for a little while. Right. It's like the, the birds get used to the plastic owls. <laughs> exactly. You know, they so work for about a week and yeah. you got to move them around. That's right. You got to move them around, preferably, you know, put a radio inside them or, you know, some noises yeah. too. <laughs> now, as you were telling me about blown me- uh, bone meal and blood meal, my guess is that, of course, we add them to the gardens because, you know, where plants would naturally grow, of course, animals would naturally die amongst them and that would be released naturally. But we don't typically have that on our properties. Um, no, there's, if you're, if you have a living soil, which you should have a soil that's alive with, with worms and earwigs and tiny, tiny little microorganisms, then there's constant decomposition going on, whether it's a decomposing insect or, or bird or Mm -hmm. decomposing, you know, um, wood chips or, or anything that if in doubt, remember soil testing will tell you what your what your soil is all about. And and we never you can't tell looking at your soil the quality of the nutrients in the soil. So a little soil test can go a long way. You can do home soil tests, you can collect soil samples and send away for soil testing as well. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, numbers again to call 416-360-0740. 1-866-740-4740. Uh, let's go to our next caller, which is Pauline, and she is also calling from Toronto. Welcome to the Garden Show, Pauline. Thank you very much. Uh, my question is regarding um, pruning a pussy willow tree, and I know they should be pruned in February, but in February there was so much snow around it, there's no way... I was going to put a ladder up and go and prune it. Can I prune it in the fall? Oh, but the reason usually we have pussy willow on our property is because we want to see the little pussies. Right. So you have to wait till the spring. But don't worry about February. Just go out. Um, They get really big. This is a plant you can prune five times a year. It it wouldn't hurt it, trust me. But what I believe me, it's getting quite big now. Yeah, they get huge if they're allowed to. And, you know, going back to the well-drained soil, pussy willows love a moist spot. So you give them moisture, they will grow. Like weeping willows, right? Think of all the willows. They love moisture. Um, Bottom line is wait until the snow level is reasonable, it could be March, it could be April, it doesn't matter. And then get your big loppers or your chainsaw or whatever you need and then get up and, and just chop uh, that plant down as much as you can. Sell it to your neighbors. It's lovely in the planters in the spring. Um, you know, the Easter planters or the spring planters we do jam in those pussy willow, um, you know, branches. So, and that's when the little fuzzy buds are on the stems. So before the leaves come out, the little fuzzy buds are the little, why we call them pussy willows. Yeah, I pretty much find that if I don't get out by the 1st of April, like they're all ready by then. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you want to get out as soon as you can, but don't worry about February. Just go on a nice day when you can. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Bye. That's great. Thank you very much for the call. Because Pauline has already given me the taste of spring, and it's just started fall. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I love it. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Okay. Let's go to our next caller. We have uh, Mary. Mary's calling from Woodbridge. Welcome to the Garden Show, Mary. Thank you very much, and good morning to both of you. Um, my question is, I moved from a big, big garden, and I'm into a condo, and I have a nice-sized balcony, and I brought over some hostas and hydrangeas and ferns. Now, how do I prepare these so that they come back next year Okay, for so, winter? Yeah. Oh, that's fine. What direction does your balcony face? It faces um, uh, west. Okay, so you get late afternoon sun or afternoon sun. And, yes, I do. And lots of wind. How high up are you? I'm on the second floor, and we have oh. we do have um, like um, a belt, uh, what is it called, uh, a railing that uh, protects them. Okay, so, so the that's railing good. I would say is maybe around four feet. Okay. So where are the hostas and the hydrangeas now? Are they in big pots or planters or what? Yeah, they're in planters, like uh, pots, pots. I just transplanted them from, dug them out of, out of the ground there and put them into pots, and mm -hmm. I brought them here. And they did very well for the, uh, I've been here since June, and they've done well. Uh, the hydrangeas have, um, uh, what are they, um, flowered. They didn't mm -hmm. come out blue or purple but they came out white okay yeah so when it comes to overwintering hardy plants in in pots above ground there's a couple of things to consider the bigger the pot the better the chance of survival because the okay. bigger the pot the more soil around the roots the more insulation around the roots the better the chance the plants will survive that's number one number two there are Pot, uh, planting containers, um, pots, etc., out there that are double walled, so they end up with a almost an insulating um, pot because the double wall has air. It's just a plastic container, but the the air in between those two walls again helps with insulation of the soil. So again, okay. you've got it just not as extremely cold. If none of those things are possible for you, the other a couple of things to think about are making sure the plants are well watered before freeze up so that they okay. are like little ice cubes before freezing. Uh, if we don't get a really cold winter, you may have to do some watering in January or February because a dry soil will kill the plants. And sometimes I've been known to, you know, use maybe on your balcony you wouldn't want bales of straw but the idea of old blankets or bad green garbage bags full of leaves just do you know, bring all the pots together in the least windy least sunny part of your balcony and do whatever you can to um, insulate only in the sense that you want them to go dormant and stay dormant uh, and you don't want them exposed to you know 40 below just in case it gets that cold you said less sun less sun yeah. for the winter less sun yeah. oh just for the winter because uh, yeah. i actually thought it would be the other way around put them place yeah. them in an area where there's lots of sun to keep them warm no but is that oh. wrong no. no no you don't want to keep them warm during the day because think how cold it's going to be at night 
Oh, so, yes, 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 I understand. So you okay. want to keep them okay. dormant. You want to keep them out of the sun. You don't want that, that daytime heat because that'll wake them up, right? They'll think yeah. in January on a nice day, oh, it's time to grow or in February. And then that night it'll go to 10 below. So you do not want them warm at all. You want just a cool spot with no like very little wind because that will dry them out as little sun as possible because that'll heat them up and just keep them dormant as spring comes yes bring them back out to your sunny locations okay that's wonderful okay. well i'll give it a try hopefully they'll come back all next year yeah good luck, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, yeah thanks very thank much for the call much. mary yeah, thank you we have thank you we have had wonderful callers today some great great questions yeah. uh, charlie we have to take a quick break but we'll be right back with much more on the garden show Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome back to The Garden Show. Charlie, before we uh, go to our next caller, uh, I have to do two things. First of all, I am going to give out the numbers in a second, but I also want to tell you uh, how much I've been enjoying the Healing Gardens this season, and uh, I'm looking already forward to the next episode. So, This Monday night, 9 p.m., yep. Vision TV. Guess what? We're off to Hawaii. Oh, nice. <laughs> Pass the boy. Yeah, and if you don't get Vision TV, you have the option to watch online at visiontv.ca, Healing Gardens. The link to watch is only up until October the 4th. As far as I know, any of those links will disappear, and then you'll have to go and pay for Vision TV if you want to watch the show. Okay. But yeah, it's a great episode. Beautiful. Okay, numbers to call, 416 360 0740, that's the Toronto number, or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Well, we don't get to go to Hawaii for our next caller, but we're in the right direction. We're going to New York. <laughs> well, we're maybe not really in the, in the right direction, but in the right country anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we've got Tom on the line from New York. Welcome to the Garden Show, Tom. Uh, good morning to you. I, um, good morning. I, I still haven't planted all my perennials. Am I too late? Oh, no. Oof, the weather's gorgeous. Get out there today. Um, well, as soon as I hang up. <laughs> 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 so it's okay, then. Okay, um, that's all I want to know, because i got to get yeah. those guys in the ground before it is too late. Oh, the only thing that will stop you from planting is the ground freezing. So you have lots of time. However, we try, if we're planting in the fall, to get new plants or transplanted plants into the ground at least six weeks before the first big frost. Because that oh. six weeks allows those roots that you've just planted to get growing into that nice warm soil and get a little oh. bit established before winter. So, the, no, you're, you've got time. Perfect, perfect. That's all I wanted to hear. Thank you very much. Thanks okay, for calling. Yeah. yeah, thanks for the call there, Tom. Uh, Charlie, email from Susan in Ajax. Speaking of planting, uh, she says, uh, Susan says she keeps hearing about bulb lasagna for spring bulbs. Uh, basically a large planter layered with spring bulbs set closely together, tulips on the bottom, hyacinths in the middle, 
Crocus is on top. Um, I want to try this here in Southern Ontario. Wonder if I can set this up, but uh, may I put my planter in the garage? How do you go about doing this? That's again from Susan in Ajax. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And actually it's a great idea. Um, okay. The bigger the pot, the better your chance of this working. So really, really big. Uh, she's right. The big bulbs go on the bottom, medium sized in the middle, small ones on the top layered into the pot with potting soil, not with garden soil. I have done this, but when I've done it, I've taken that pot and then I've buried the pot into the garden before winter, let it sit outside all winter underground. Soon as we get a little bit of a thaw going on in the spring, you dig up the pot, wash all the mud off because it's pretty muddy, and put it at your front door. And it's amazing because you will just get this, um, the transition, first the little bulbs, then the medium size, then the big bulbs. You will have blooming bulbs at your front door in this container for six weeks or more. It's amazing, it's beautiful. Her question is, will it work in the garage? You never know. It might, it might work perfectly in the garage. Depends what kind of winter we have and depends how insulated your garage is. These about, like we were just saying, to um, uh, uh, Mary, who's gardening now on a balcony, pots above ground are more um, vulnerable to cold than plants below ground. So in the garage, of course, is warmer than outside. So yes, that, that should work just fine. Um, will it work perfectly? Again, it depends. If it's 40 below outside and it's 10 below inside your garage, then it probably won't work. But is it going to be 40 below? I don't know. And it depends on the insulation. But do ensure that you have water. Do, do that planting, water thoroughly once, and make sure all the bulbs are un, just under the soil, you know, even the little crocuses, and then let it be. That's worth a try. It's it's a bit expensive. The whole, by the time I did it, it was over $100 in bulbs in one pot. And that's 20 years ago. So it would be like $200 now. Uh, but it was gorgeous. Great. Okay, got to take our last break. We'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back here on The Garden Show. Going to go right to our next caller. We have Hildy on the line calling from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Hildy. Hey there, Hildy. What do you got for Charlie there? Hey, good morning, you two. Love this good show. Morning. Um, Thank you. Sorry, I just ate a bite. Half mm. of my coffee. My question is, um, from the TBG years ago, I bought a little little tiny seedling called Siberian Caragana with silver leaves and yellow flowers and yellow wood now. And it's quite a number of years ago because it's so tall, I'm worrying. It's like 15, maybe 20 feet and not only that, but it's, um, I had it sort of, it's skinny wood, I mean the, meaning the trunk, and it's not a weeping caragana, uh, it's a tall one. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering, it's, it's, if it goes horizontal, it sprouts upward like a, like a, I don't know, like, like wild shoots or what do you call those? It goes mm-hmm. along the ground and then it, it raises, it grows branches that go straight up again so it's mm. kind of out of hand i don't know it's very tall it's not in a great spot i, I i've been reading it it's like used as a windbreak and i 
don't really need it. Can I cut it mm. back? Can I take cuttings and replant it somewhere else? What what mm-hmm. may I do with it? Okay, so cut it okay, good question. <laughs> Well, yeah, good question. It is a very fast-growing plant. There's no question. It's also a very, very hardy plant. Originally, Siberian pea shrub or caragana comes from Siberia. So it is super hardy, super tough, uh, pretty, you know, very pretty. I never have to water it. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's low-maintenance. Uh, it's a great pollinator plant when it's blooming with the yeah. yellow flowers. It's just alive with insects. And then, of course, it gets the little pods. What are you going to do? Well, hmm, I it's too bad it got so out of hand. You can, I would prune it very hard in the spring. I would prune it as hard as you want to prune it. Like, mm. um, you're not going to move it now. It's too old to move. Yeah. If you want to actually kill it and take some cuttings, you could do that and start again. But this time, don't let it take over the garden. Control the plant, <laughs> prune the plant. Uh, and when would you prune it? Right after it flowers. So it flowers okay. in late spring, you prune in early summer. Okay. Yeah, because it's very pretty. It's got yellow flowers, like pea flowers, and then it has lovely red um, pea, uh, seed pods. They're, they're yeah. quite attractive, too. Exactly. So oh. when, when, whenever okay. you've got a, a plant that's, you know, just taking over the garden, and you're not sure when to prune it, just look at when it flowers and do all your pruning right after it flowers. And like I said, you could prune that plant quite hard. And at the same time, you'd probably be, at the same time, you could take some tip cuttings if you wanted to, uh, you know, grow some more. <clears throat> okay. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Thank for the call there, Hilda. Yeah, Thanks cheers. for your beautiful Thank you. uh, Hawaiian show tomorrow night. I'll be sure to watch it Monday, Monday night for me. M- Monday mm-hmm. night. Yeah, enjoy. Woo-hoo. Thank you. Uh, that reminded me of uh, Paul Oliver from the Urban Nature Stores, of course, telling us how important those pods are to the birds, that they eat those things, <laughs> those seed pods that come on plants and things like that. So it was great having Paul on the, sh- on the show last week. He's very knowledgeable. He knows his birds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. Absolutely. Well, and you know your plants. So let's go to this next call. We have Sharon on the line from Simcoe. Welcome to the Garden Show, Sharon. Uh, yes, good morning. Um, I was wondering about the ground cherry. Um, they've grown very uh, high, and they're producing very well. And I was wondering if um, a recipe for um, sour cherries would be all right if I wanted to can them like a fruit. Huh. Okay, good question. Uh, I'm just looking very quickly. Um, excuse me. Uh, okay, so you know what? I'll let, leave that with me. I've never grown ground cherries. Just looking quickly, of course, you can eat them raw, ripe okay. and raw. Yes. In terms of cooking them is a good question. So leave that with me for a minute. Okay. Though I'm looking here, there's some... Um, under myrecipes.com, there is a whole section on ground cherries. Okay. Okay, okay. thank you, but I'll, I'll report back. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yep, Thank Bye. you. And then whatever Sharon makes, she should send some to us. <laughs> I'll <laughs> of try course. it. Yeah, woo Okay, uh, let's go to our last caller. We have Marianne from Toronto. Uh, welcome to the Garden Show, Marianne. Uh, uh, thank you to both of you. Um, I have a prob- problem. My lawn in the back, uh, facing east, uh, uh, facing east is very uh, healthy. 
the one in the front is dying. I don't know whether to overfeed it, overseed it, or uh, what to do. Okay, so uh, your eastern-facing lawn is great because yes. it's getting nice, gentle, soft morning sun. Right. Your western lawn, are there any trees on that western front lawn, or is it exposed to the sun? One big tree in the middle. Okay, so it's that big tree in the middle is casting a lot of shade, I would assume. But it's a lotus. It's got, like, flimsy leaves. Okay, okay. so the little tiny dappled shade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, but it's a big old honey locust. So probably what's going on is the tree is taking all the water and all the nutrient out of the soil and oh. making it very very tough for the lawn to, th to thrive. What I would probably do is either get, like depending on the size of your, your front lawn, is just give up on lawn and plant shade tolerant perennials in under that honey locust, um, some rocks, a little pathway, maybe a little bench, like just make it a, a beautiful under the tree uh, vignette. That would be my impulse. Rather than trying to struggle to grow lawn in a situation where it just doesn't want to grow, Otherwise, if you insist on lawn, right now, this week, if you can, top dress with some good quality topsoil, at least half an inch on the entire front lawn, overseed with a shade tolerant grass seed blend and water as necessary. It'll look great in the spring, but it'll probably look like hell again by July and August next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's a semi, so and it's a 20 by 20 feet, so... I'm limited yeah. to what I can do. Yeah, well, not really. Um, yeah, I, I hear you. I've done some pretty interesting gardens and semis, though. So, you know, and talk to your neighbor. Maybe you can do something together. Thanks so much, Marianne. we got to go. We're all out of racetrack, as we Yeah, say. great show there, Charlie. And looking forward yeah. to Healing Gardens on Monday. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ashy. You are doing so great. We're super, super happy with Ashy as our operator. And thanks again to all the great callers. Dean couldn't have any fun on Saturday mornings without you. <laughs> so see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.